Another episode has begun. We've done it, people. We've started recording. The lame has been reflit. <laughs> the lame has been relit. Reflit. Reflit. Okay. All right. Well, welcome to another bad RNG podcast, guys. I'm the Slonium. I'm some chef, dude. Oh, who am I? I'm bomb ass pizza. And we're back with another episode. This week, another interesting topic. I think we're we're getting we're getting into that wheelhouse now. Yeah. We're really starting to hit our wheelhouse here. Figure out like where we want to be. And by that I mean Pat picked his topic like 30 seconds ago. Like literally 30 seconds ago. <laughs> I did it. He did it, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's one that is equally as important as anything else we've talked about on the podcast, which oh, is yeah. emulators, emulation in general. Yeah. And, and how important they are to different aspects of gaming in general. Yeah, I guess we can kind of come at it. So I guess like a, I see two sides of this discussion are really like our experience with it and kind of like what we know about like the wide world of emulators because, you know, I'm no expert. I've never built an emulator. No. I don't know if you have. I have no, not. No, I have not. Uh, it's, it's a magic program that lets you play old video games that you stole from the internet. Um and then there, you know, we can talk about some pretty crazy emulators in a little bit. Oh yeah, there's we, some weird, there's some weird stuff out there. We've got some cool stuff there too. So I guess my first question is, when was the first time you actually got your hands on an emulator and used it? That's that's a good question. Like this is back in the old days where internet wasn't always connected. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think I, my first emulator was a SNES emulator. What was it like? Two thousand six, two thousand seven. Okay. was the first time I actually played Final Fantasy VI. The reason I downloaded the emulator was so I could play Final Fantasy VI. Okay. Mm-hmm. That never, follows. Never finished it. I regret it. <laughs> gotta go back. Gotta go back. But I gotta do the whole game again because I don't have that computer anymore. My save <laughs> file's gone. What about you, Pat? Uh, it's, it's hard. Like, it goes so far back that I'm actually not sure when it happened. I want to say... That I downloaded a Game Boy emulator to try and play Pokemon Green version. Ooh, yeah, I remember hearing that. Which I, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's basically just the blue version. Yeah, uh, we got blue in America because we're afraid of green. Um, everybody knows this, uh, and yeah, it turned out that you could play Game Boy games on your computer. Like, it blew my mind. Did yeah. you download that? That was how I felt when I first got the Super Game Boy. Yeah, which I guess is like in our the original emulator. <laughs> yeah, sort it, of. It emulated Game Boy games on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. The um, for me, I'm try- I wanted to remember the name of it. For me, it was an NES emulator. Was it Nesticle? It was Nesticle. That was it. Because I was going to say, <laughs> I just remember the icon for it was a ball sack. <laughs> Icons a ball sack, like. The error messages and stuff are delivered by a poop monster. Yeah, Your that, cursor is a bloody severed hand. Like, it's super juvenile. It, if it, that's not old internet, I don't know no, what yeah. is. <laughs> this is like 2001, 2002. Uh, yeah, this is that's, the old days. That's old internet. Yeah, like... That's all your base era. Yeah, like, but I just... I remember having that, and I think, funny enough, the first game I played was... Heavy Barrel. Heavy Barrel. Even though I have it, I had to play it on there. Like, does it work? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Heavy Barrel was it. But there there are, like, two angles you can kind of come at emulation in general from. And there's, like, the, the legal side of it where it's like, you know, where do you draw the line between, you know, piracy and, like, 
people getting access to games that they've already bought. And I, I feel like it's impossible to draw that line. It's very difficult. It's, it's at the very, very difficult to draw that line. It's it's one of those cases where it's very clear that the law lags behind technology. Yes. Yeah. And but it's there's a lot of nuance to it, and that's that's kind of the thing. It's it's difficult to to prove one way or another. Yeah, I mean, there's intention. been multiple like lawsuits filed against emulation, and typically the courts go in favor of emulation of the emulator because it's not stole like usually these things are reverse engineered to make something work it, like with new software that doesn't include anything proprietary that includes like firmware on the console they have to like rewrite or work around that yeah yeah so there there's that and like they are legally distinct there are some cases where that's come into uh issue uh i, I forget if it was citra or one of the newer emulators or maybe Simu. Uh, I want to say it was a new Nintendo console. It was. It had to be one of those two. I know. I know Citra. It has been very difficult because you need specific files to decrypt the game so that it can right. even be played on Citra at all. So it's it's a problem where the emulator is being developed closed source, so nobody can verify that they haven't just like taken the firmware, which would be copyright infringement. Oh, I yeah. think that I think that Semu. Yeah, Semu because okay. I think Semu's closed and like they had a Patreon for mm-hmm. it that you could donate to so that they could continue development on it and stuff like that. And I think it kind of got into a gray area at that point. Well, that got scary because you can create like bad precedent. Oh like, yeah, you're making an emulator that stole something, and now you might create like legal precedent that hurts other ones that didn't yeah. make that mistake. Well, I, I feel like the the difference between closed source and open source is is kind of kind of weird because the open source is kind of reliant on like the honor system like everyone can see the code but that means that anyone can just like copy paste it you know what i mean like i think it's more of like the fear that they're taking it directly from like the console or the manufacturer of the console i think right But, but in that the creator of the emulator is giving up some protections of their own by leaving it open source. It kind of, I mean, like, other people can't, like, take their product and say, like, make it worse. Like, they could make their own fork and it's worse, but, like, you can see their project. This is the last approved release. Uh, and, like, like, the legal protection of that is that if a company looked in at that code, you can see, like, oh, there's none of our code in there. Yeah. yeah. Like, this is plain for everybody to see. With the closed source one, like, what you download, you can't you can't take that apart. Like, that's... You're buying a, a product. Like that's, yes. that's you're not buying, but like you're a downloading closed a closed source product. one. When you download like Semu, that's compiled already. You yeah. know, it's made to work with a specific system. You can't you can't look in and see how they coded it in that way. So there there's that ambiguity and like you know, if I if I made some firmware, then uh, I'm gonna be pretty pissed if you stole it. You know, yeah. like they spend lots of money and time mm-hmm. making sure that console works. Yeah, I tried to look to see if there was anything about it on Semu of whether or not it is uh, open source or not, but I didn't see anything in the little bit that I looked. I only yeah. looked yeah. for like five seconds. It was one fair. of the newer Nintendo platware, uh, fl- plat- platwares. <laughs> platwares. <laughs> the the platforms. It's it's part of their flatware. Um, <laughs> you know, when, they're, when they're setting the table, what they're thinking is, 
No, uh, it was it was one of the newer Nintendo platforms that yeah. was being emulated. Okay, I like I I was thinking about um when I was thinking about the whole emulation thing. I remember the first one that I really saw a big deal made out of was Bleem mm-hmm. for the PS One, and kind of the the thing that was interesting about Bleem was the way it worked was. It was a play, it was a PS One emulator, but in order to use it, you needed the actual disc, and you put it in right. your CD drive, and then you were able to play the game. And I remember, I I don't remember exactly how the the, the court case went, but I think they actually shut down Bleem because I think they may have taken directly from the PlayStation in order to create it. I think Bleem ended up being in the in the right there, which was surprising because it was a commercially available emulator. Like yeah. They were selling that on store shelves. Yes. And I think they came out ahead. Um we might have to look into that one, but uh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna do it now. Yeah, do it now. Do it now. But like that's that's kind of remarkable. Like the first time somebody was like, oh, you want to play PlayStation? How about you buy this software instead? Yeah. Like that's that's kind of out there. There was a point where I want to say Apple computers were advertising the power to play either PlayStation or Dreamcast games, which is pretty wild. Yeah, that's like that's a while. you can you can see video of Steve Jobs on the stage like video games. <laughs> so Sony did lose. It says you know. Ultimately, they lost, and ultimately, Bleem won in court, and a protective order was issued to protect David from Goliath. Hmm. So, um, so I think that's kind of like the the precedent that's been standing. Has yeah. Been like, if Bleem could be sold, then you know, emulators generally are in the right as long as you don't package in copyrighted content. Right. Yeah, because apparent, and they you look at this the case that Sony filed which we're looking at right now, it makes perfect sense that, at least in my opinion, that Bleem would have won because Sony's uh, file that they suited was they were alleging that they were violating the rights and that providing access for PlayStation games to run on non-Sony hardware constituted unfair competition. Hmm. And I can see how they would lose a case like that because it it doesn't necessarily take away from Sony's ability to sell their product it just it takes away their exclusivity of that of said product but the exclusivity is the selling point yeah with a lot of the sony games so maybe not a lot of sony games but like for the games that move consoles yeah i mean that exclusivity is is really what pushes them. yeah that's really the thing that we see in the current era of gaming even more now than ever you see console sales are based basically solely on what first party games do you have on your console that are exclusive to it, which is why, you know, PlayStation 4 was doing so much better than the Xbox One because you had Rise, Son of Rome versus Bloodborne, and it's like, oh, I wonder which game yeah, I'm going to yeah. play. Well, <laughs> PlayStation know? also had, well, PlayStation 4 also had the Uncharted series. Yes. Which you can't, like, I would never have bought a PlayStation 4 if I could have played Bloodborne on my PC. Yeah. So that's, I mean, so that kind of makes sense. Like, the, is it unfair competition? That's kind of hard to prove. Does it take away their ability to effectively sell their product? Yes. Yeah. Mm. But then you to just... To some degree. To some degree. Like, and just make a better product at that point. <laughs> like, they, there's nothing that, that stops people from buying a PlayStation. Yeah. Like, you still have and the benefit it. of, like, a, a machine that can play these games that plugs into your TV. Like, they didn't steal Sony's design, you know? No. Like, they just gave you, like, if you buy that game... 
you can use this to play it on your computer. You yeah. know, like they didn't they didn't break into Sony's anything, I guess. But it, but like that was kind of new ground at the time. Yeah, you know? it was very like you're talking. This was what two nineteen or when did it happen? When it doesn't even say. Uh, well, it says the final release was 2001. Initial release. Yeah, it says initial release was March 1999. So I guess the lawsuit happened. Probably in 2000. <laughs> yeah, like 2000, two days after. It says two days after Bleem started taking pre-orders. So like right as it was coming out, they were like, uh-uh, this ain't happening. And But there's there's a lot of gray area to the legal side of it. And none of us are, are, no, are I'm not legal people. Lawyer. Yeah, we're not legal experts here. No. No. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the times there I said, like, copyright infringement, it was probably, like, patent infringement. Yeah. Which is yeah. distinct, but, you know, like, you get the sense of it. Yeah. But I think another angle you can take in terms of the emulator, like, steering away from the whole legal side of it is um, not accessibility, though. Accessibility is a big Accessibility is a huge part. Like Preservation. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. There's pres- But, like, there is an accessibility in, like... A cultural sense, like yeah. how many games that nobody knew about at the time do people know now from the PlayStation and like Super Nintendo era, just in like Japanese RPGs? Like, yeah. Well, like I remember when I initially downloaded Nesticle, and I was looking at games. This game came up called Getsu Fumiden, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" And it was made by Konami, and somebody made an English patch for it. So I was like, "You know what? I want to really, I want to play this game," and it's an incredible game that I never would have knew existed if not for the fact that emulators existed at all. Like, mm-hmm. and that's something, there's something to be said about that. Like there, you in, in old era video games and even to some degree in, in current day, you have region locking where you have a console and it's like, Oh, well you can't play that game because it's for Japan only. Mm-hmm. And you'll never see that game. Yeah. But that's starting to change. I know the Switch has that you... It, I mean, it's a little bit weird. It's not... It's sort of region-free and not region-free at the same time. Because if you have an American account, you can buy American games. But you can create another account that's Japanese and then buy Japanese games. Hmm. So the console itself is region-locked or is unlocked. But you have to create different accounts to buy different games. Which that's is kind of convoluted in a way. Yeah, that's Nintendo. That's Nintendo's modern strategy in a nutshell. The modern strategy. The thing about the Switch, speaking of, is I believe it has a built-in NES emulator with a copy of Golf. Yeah. Just in the, the console, like, just built in. That's so, that's so strange. And, I mean, I guess that it sort of makes sense because when Nintendo Online came out for the Switch, they came out with a bunch, like the whole platform right now is NES games. There's no Super Nintendo, there's no N64, anything like that. It's all been, you know, updating with more and more uh, Nintendo games, and golf was one of them. So. Which, you know, actually, a uh, big point that sometimes goes missed is Virtual Console is definitely emulation. Yeah, it's like, an emulator. It's just their emulator. Now. In fact, Nintendo has likely downloaded their own games online for yeah. virtual consoles like if you look at it they have the uh the rom headers and the, that the emulation the community uses yeah well oops as far as like preservation goes there's going to be a lot of games that are going to be completely inaccessible to future generations just because the hardware to play them isn't there anymore what happens when the last nes dies you know what happens when the last snes dies yeah there's going to be 
massive libraries of games that are just completely unplayable without emulation. Or, well, yeah, there you are. Or they would have been if not for emulation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, like, there's a massive library that is just going to fall by the wayside if not for emulation. Yeah, and I encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast who's interested in this type of thing. I believe it was GDC 2013. Uh, Frank Cafaldi did yeah. an entire presentation on the preservation of video games through emulation that you should definitely listen to. He he is much more knowledgeable yeah, than we are. He's got some cool shit. Go check it out. He's yeah. got the Video Game Historical Foundation. Got lots of cool shit there. Um, he was he, a big he did part the GDC. of the... He did another GDC speech. Oh, okay. More recently. I, th- I guess it was last year or this year. So go check that out. That one's cool, too. Yeah, and he's got a lot to say on... on he was a big part of, of the, the creation history. of... Uh, Mega Man Legacy Collection. Was he really? Yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think he, he was That was like, my first experience with Mega Man, was okay. the Mega Man Legacy Collection. Like He's one of the design heads for that. So like he kind of goes in and works with... The, who did that? Digital Eclipse? Uh, yeah, yes. Digital Eclipse sounds about right. So, you know, you came at, like, a lot of the ideas that I think he brought to the table. Like, not to put all these things on one person, but, like, the things that he's very proud of in that are, for instance, like, there's a bestiary in it. You can see, like, all the concept art for the different bosses and all the stuff. But then you can also, in the bestiary, fight the boss. Yeah. Like, it'll take you to a game state where you're just going to fight the boss. That's cool. Another thing that I liked about it was when when he was talking about putting the emulation together in that legacy collection, he talked about, look, like, one of the big points of how they wanted to create it was they wanted to make it flaws and all. They wanted to make it as it was because sometimes when you emulate something, some of that gets lost. Yeah. Because they have to change the way it's done, but it was trying to almost replicate it to the T of what you would have experienced mm-hmm. playing it on the NES or whatever it may have been. Like I know with a lot of the the old Mega Man games that the there was a limitation to how many bullets you could have on screen because of the number of sprites that would render. Some lemons. Some lemons, yeah. You can only have three Four lemons on screen, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think four, but four lemons. And it, since it was brought into the Legacy Collection, you know the hardware that that game has access to is much greater. So there's no like physical reason why it should still be limited like that, but it is. Yeah, because it's it's supposed to be as authentic as possible. Now that being said, it does have a turbo button, <laughs> <laughs> which like again, these tools are great. Like yeah. you can. You shouldn't Buy an necessarily have to go and do everything like the most painstaking original way possible, right? Like it's good that you can turn on Final Fantasy VIII on your computer and give yourself a hundred of all the magic. Because <laughs> I don't got time to draw all that magic from the damn bite bug. <laughs> yeah. The uh, like, and I think it's interesting because like the preservation of these games is so important. Because there's some games, like we talked about this on a previous episode, was like what was going on with like the Satellaview. Mm-hmm. Like that'd be gone forever without emulation. And now there's generally never... pretty good backups of them. It, yeah. it, it took a lot of work from a lot of people buying the rewritable carts and just praying that it had something interesting on it. But like a lot of the ROM sets now, which of course none of us have because we would never, ever do something illegal. No. Uh, they have. ROMs of the Satellaview games and it, it just like skips over the connection part. Yeah. Like 
And, and it, again, like that would be gone forever. It was yeah. a thing that was supposed to be online only on the Teleview, and it would have just been lost in time mm -hmm. to where we'd never be. We would think about that. That would do, it was exclusively in Japan. Mm -hmm. So this is a thing that the three of us never would have talked about. Yeah. Like it never would have happened because we there would be no information whatsoever. We would have never heard of it. No. There's a lot of games with limited releases. Like I never would have gotten to play Clock Tower if yeah. not for that. Like I didn't even know that was a game. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it, it's crazy to think of how important emulation is to just the overall video game scene as a whole. Well, speaking of the scene as a whole, that there we have another major thing that's kind of taken over recently that wouldn't be possible without emulation. And that's the link to the past randomizers. Yeah. You got all sorts of cool, like big ROM hacks now. Like yeah. these are well devised yeah. projects. Like oh, your, yeah. your Kaizo ROM hacks, you have the link to the past randomizer, you have your Metroid randomizers. You have your combination Zelda, Metroid, randomized like You'll mash games together, like it's all great. kinds of like, crazy shit happening because of emulators. Or like, you could do what Frank and I did at Magfest. You could play Multi Bowl, which is an yeah. arcade emulator that just rapid fires like situations from different games. Yeah, I, I gotta say, the Super Metroid. Uh, Link to the Past randomizer still blows my mind. It's crazy. It's like, it's insane what's there, and I'm like, I still don't understand this completely. Like, yeah, I just I'm, don't. Like, it blows my mind. Like, why am I finding the hookshot in Criteria? <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, it's so awesome, though. Like, it's great. And, and you got stuff like the free Enterprise for... Uh, for Final Fantasy for IV. For Final Fantasy IV. Like, mm -hmm. you're even getting it with, like, RPGs. Symphony of Night now has their randomizer going. Now, here's um, here's an interesting question. I have Final Fantasy VII for Steam. Yes. Would you consider that emulation? I, that's, I think that's not emulation because... They made a PC version. That's the actual PC release yeah. they did. It was, it was a port, I guess. Uh, yeah, okay. So there might be emulation involved. So where do you draw the line between port and emulation? I think emulation is when, like, it's specifically when there's a software designed to create an artificial, like environment for a software to run like you have created an artificial okay. nes i see okay that makes sense instead of making it so that it's playable on the pc you're making it so that the, the game thinks the pc is an nes correct like you've got a software that creates the console and then you can load that software into this software i see um so, I, so it's a it's a virtual pc it, it's kind of a virtual machine yeah okay yeah that makes sense i learned well, something today and you all <laughs> did too um, like I think of things like even like hard type for uh, it's uh, Shining Force. No, not Shining Force. No, um, I see, I see Dave playing hard it type is for Symphony of the Night. Symphony of the Night. Oh, right, right. And you got um, like there's the patch that you were telling me about for Final Fantasy Seven. Final more, Threat. Final Threat, which makes it more difficult. Never beat the first boss. Um, I played. <laughs> I played Final Fantasy Tactics 1.3, which was made just to be super difficult. Mm -hmm. You got, like, like, laggy fantasy tactics. Yeah, like, there's all these different... And it's so cool, because it gives you the... And all this is impossible without emulation, is you get these possibilities of going back to games that you may have never gone back to play again. Yeah. Like you what's, the, what's the name of the Castlevania 2 mod? That, oh, that uh, makes Redacted. It Redacted, yeah. yeah it Redacted. makes it playable, yeah. Like... And and all it did, like, it, it's crazy when you think about it, is it's all just quality of life stuff. Yeah. Change the text so that it makes more sense. 
speed it up. Speed speed up day and night cycle changes. You can speed up the text. The text speed is faster. Like just those three little things Mm -hmm. change that game drastically. Oh yeah. Like it doesn't fix all of the flaws of the game, but it definitely makes it where you're like, this is a an experience I can do. Like I can do this. I don't know if they ever did anything like that with uh, Zelda Two. I don't I know, recall hearing about it, but there's got to be a good Zelda 2 ROM hack out there, right? Yeah, Someone's working on it. I have to. I have People to assume, really like that game. Uh, it's a great game. It, I, I don't blame them. I don't. I think it aged really poorly, but like, yeah, it, it's like super different and interesting. And like, yeah, I definitely enjoy Zelda 2, but it's that it's the issue of like, oh well, there's something in the middle of the woods, and how am I supposed to know that that's there? Right. Stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. the same. It's almost like paralleled problems with uh, Castlevania 2. They had very similar issues of like being very cryptic and things like that. Intentionally obtuse. Yeah. 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 So there, there's those things that you, it's, it's kind of like you can fix some and you can't fix some, right? Yeah. Like for, for Zelda 2, you can't fix it. The combat's kind of janky. Yeah. You can't fix that. But you can fix if, say, like text is really slow for the day night transition in Castlevania 2. And it kind of goes to show, like, even if you think that game isn't good, that day night system wasn't an awful idea completely. No. Like there's, no. there's something to it. I think, and, I, and I've talked about that before. A lot of people dislike the day night system. I've had that, you know, they're like, I don't understand why the day night system is there. And I'm like, it's there for a number of reasons throughout it's there the game. for a reason. And it yeah. sucks like as it exists, but like it's supposed to, that's kind you, of the point. You can see there's something compelling there. Like there's, there's some fire to it to like kind of mm-hmm. keep you moving. Yeah. Well, the whole thing is, and like, the difference between the day and night cycle, for anybody who's wondering, the difference between the day and night cycle is when it's nighttime, the, the enemies are stronger. You have to deal with stuff like that. Like, you know, they're like different enemies or they there do more there, damage. There will be so different enemies. The enemies do more damage and it'll take more hits You can't go into any buildings. You can go into, I think you could go in the, if I remember correctly, you can go into some buildings. You can't go into all buildings. Right. Like you can't go into buildings in town. But there's monsters uh, in right. town. Yeah, but there's, there's monsters, monsters in town. In town. Now, yeah. Um, but so it basically becomes Bloodborne for the nighttime. Sort of. Where everyone's <laughs> locked in and the monsters are roaming the streets. The the bigger part, though, is that it changes the ending of the game. Because the day-night cycle is in place because there's three endings. There's the good ending, the like okay ending, and then the bad ending. And it depends on how many days it takes you to finish the game. Oh, okay. And that's where that comes in. Okay. Like, if you finish it in seven day-night cycles, you'll get the good ending, and then it goes on from there. Okay. So that's the whole idea of the day-night cycle, but a lot of people don't get to the point of finishing the game, so it kind of gets lost. Because a lot of the hints they give you are just kind of nonsense, and that's where Redacted really steps in yeah, and redacted. makes the game uh, at least accessible to people who had never right. played it before. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that still kind of hurt it, like the... The coloring of the game is bad. Like in it's town, very, it's, it's it's just very, very muddy, grating and muddy. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a very muddy game. Like it's, it's very gritty compared to it's the first. washed out almost. Yeah, especially in the towns that are like brown or red. Yeah, yeah, brown, red. One's white, like just all white. That's got to be good on the eyes. Which is a, <laughs> it's like okay, this is a town. But as as a side but note, yeah. I'm surprised we didn't talk about Castlevania at all on the last episode. No. Because it's got a banging soundtrack. It does. 
which yeah. go back and listen to our soundtracks episode. Yeah, it was a good one. It, it, the, the video. We don't. Music. Spoiler alert: We don't talk about Castlevania. Yeah, spoiler alert, <laughs> I'll say this: uh, it, it kind of occurred to me after the fact, but like Castlevania One sort of like encompasses like what really worked about the NES music and like early soundtracks is there's this composition element where it's like a soundtrack but because of the limited channels it's kind of like a rock group yeah and Castlevania like is emblematic of that because it's got like that rock baroque style it's the to baroque the music and roll. itself baroque and roll baroque and that's roll. what a lot of people say it's the baroque <laughs> and roll of Castlevania but and we're going to edit this segment out just stick it in the other episode yeah. <laughs> this is this is bonus content and if you want to get rid of it you can pay us <laughs> on our patreon that doesn't exist it doesn't exist um but back to emulation yeah back to emulation like that like that part of it is so interesting now is the like the ROM hacking and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Um we see it I think most prominently I at least I do is most prominently is in the speedrunning community cuz you have a ton of Super Mario World ROM hacks, oh, the Kaizo ROM, ROM hacks. hacks. And you have your Chefy World, your and it all started with uh was it Super Mario Kaizo or something like that? Yeah, I think it was Kaizo Super Mar- World. Yeah, Kaizo World. I, I forget think what like what the first big one was. I think Kaizo World was the first big one, and then you got all these people making theirs. There's like the Grand Pooh World Grand one Pooh. and two, Grand Chefy World, Grand Chefy World. And even in an era of Mario Maker, people still hack the original Mario World. Yeah. I think that's yeah. incredible. Invictus is another yeah, one. Invictus, like, but there's, there's a lot of them. them. There's a lot there's of them. A ton of them. And without emulation, none of that's possible. Yeah. Like, Nintendo is not making those games. They're not no. going to make an increasingly difficult Mario game for you to play. Not, Even in fact, though, I'm surprised they haven't shut it down. <laughs> you know yeah. what I find really interesting about those Kaizo games is that the mechanics in the original Super Mario World are all there to make this work. Yeah. Like, the mechanics in the original game, they fit for both, like, the easy baby platforming that you have to do in, like, the original Super Mario World, but they also lend themselves to a much more like technical advanced sort of play style yeah. if you wanted to make that. And so like the controls and the mechanics, it's in, it's super cool that they fit both both modes basically. Yeah, they can change some of the mechanics slightly to make it fit the game. Like I was actually just watching uh Grand Pooh Bear the other night and he was playing a new uh Super Mario Bros 3 ROM hack and there was a level where you have to run full speed to catch up to this chain chomp and you have to continually bounce on its head to get through the level because there's those chompy, the, the, the munchers, the munchers on, on the top and the bottom. So you have to keep bouncing on this and he has to keep his momentum in Mario three, which is ridiculous. He has to keep his momentum and continue bouncing on uh, this P-speed. thing. Keep the P speed, right? Yes. He has to keep the P speed. But the thing is, if he continues going straight, he'll fall off and get hit by the munchers. So he has to like, go back and forth like he has to back oh, and Jesus. forth and just to wow. stay with it and some pipes go up so he has to go over a pipe and then land on it and then keep that momentum but um the thing that i thought was interesting about it was i saw people in chat and they're like can you bounce on can you bounce on chain chomps in that game and it's like no, no. you can't that wasn't a thing in the game you die so it's something they just slightly altered to make mm-hmm. a really interesting, yeah. really hard level. Well, that's uh, it's kind of like Thumb Shredder. Yeah, Thumb Shredder was a Super Mario World uh, ROM hack where you could spawn shells. Yep, like there was a button <laughs> where you could just spawn a shell in Mario's hands. The shell jumping. Yeah, it was all shell jumping. That's that's nuts. That that crap. 
blows my mind. But going into like emulation as it relates to speedrunning, this is something we kind of touched on like prior to recording. And like emulation has helped out speedrunning a massive amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What with save states and, you know, and tasses. Tasses. And, yeah, save like, states let you practice. Frame things. advancement. Tasses let theory crafting happen. Yeah. Like you can play a game frame by frame. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, in terms of like optimization, like oh, emulation yeah. is huge when it comes to optimization. Well, I think it's interesting. I was watching, and I think you may have watched it as well. I watched the Final Fantasy One task bot run at RPG Limit Break, mm-hmm. and they had task bots always a lot of fun. Gyre or Gyre, I'm not exactly sure how to say. I think it it's Gyre. Gyre. Like I, I recall hearing him say it that way, but like people keep saying Geyer, so yeah, like, like I the seed of it, doubt it looks is planted. Like, it looks like <laughs> it would be Gyre, but um, he, he was on the couch, and you had Dwango there, um, and they're going over like it was such an interesting discussion that they were having mm-hmm. just on the couch, not even sometimes not even talking about what exactly is happening on screen, but talking about how they used to be two separate communities between Tassers. And speedrunners, but then they eventually kind of converged because they found that uh, a speedrunner could find something that maybe the tassers didn't see, and then the tassers could improve upon it, and vice versa. They could kind of work together to figure out new things like, oh, well, this might be, there might be something in a task that would be considered impossible, but then a speedrunner could see it and be like, that might be doable. With the right setup. Yeah. Right. So you and can then you can see use metrics. the emulator, the frame by frame advancement, to find that setup. Well, the emulator also shows you things like exact positioning, like yeah. X and Y variable counts. Like yeah. it's when people can determine that something is based on like a sub pixel count, you know that you're like looking into the matrix and seeing the numbers, <laughs> you know? Like yeah. sub pixel jumps and, and stuff. I think like that's that why speedrunning is so important. Like it's speedrunning pierces that veil. Yeah, yeah right. Like you're you're looking past playing the game, and you're looking to abuse the game at that point. Yeah, and that's like you were. We were talking about the ROM hacks and stuff like that. That's kind of where I I, I wanted to get back to that for one particular reason because we're talking about emulation. Because you said I don't understand why Nintendo hasn't shut that down, and I can only assume like it. And I guess this is one of the biggest arguments for emulation is. This is a great way for people to be more familiar with what you are. It's like, exposure. It's exposure. Sure. Like, well, it also like draws people into the industry too. Like, yeah, it, it develops a greater fascination. So, like, they're creating their own marketing among their fans. Wow, what I an mean, idea. Let's look at for me one of the best examples I can think of is the team that created Sonic Mania. They yeah. were they were ROM hackers. And they wound up creating, in my opinion, the best Sonic game to come out in a long time. Yeah. yeah. And it's created because they have... Because they have familiarity with the actual like mechanics of the original games. Yeah, like, and a deep love for what it is. So they were able to create this new product that they knew that audience would absolutely love. But you can also get like... You get like kids playing emulators and, and stuff like that, and they can see the X and Y values, and they can be like, "Well, why is that important? How does the game determine that?" And then they start to get curious, and they start to dig a little deeper, and then they start coding themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they're writing their own game, or yeah. they're making mods, or or whatever. But it, it allows that accessibility to be able to to look through it 
and see look at the gears turning yeah like see how the gears connect and like the different rods and axles and everything that kind of ties everything together it allows them to just see all of that laid bare and so they can use that in the future to kind of spur on further curiosity yeah and it's that initial question leads down that rabbit hole yeah I can to the that. very bottom yeah. of them making their own game absolutely so you said that you first remembered using an emulator to play Final Fantasy VI. Yes. So, I guess for Frank, what is a game that you wouldn't have played if you didn't have emulators? Like, what what did emulators show you to? I well, guess. like I said, I it was that Getsu Fumiden game was one of the first games mm-hmm. that really I never would have played if not for that. But um, another game, wow, there's a lot of them. Like I, on stream, I played YY World. Which, yeah, like... Never would have played it. never known about that. Would have never before. known about it if not for the emulators. Like, a lot of what I have used emulators for is to play Japanese games I never would have seen. Sweet Home. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I love that game. Yeah. It's great, and I never would have played it. I never would have known it existed without it. Exactly. I do own it, though. If I have to, I will show a picture of it. I own he this owns game. It. We We know this to be true. So, <laughs> but even I think like, you showed the copy on stream. Actually, I, I think I did. I think I showed my my Magfest haul. <laughs> mm, that was a good haul. It's, it is. There's I like even it. games that were released here that I would have missed without it. Like, I wouldn't have gotten to see Earthbound or like get at all familiar with it without emulation. And I want to yeah. say that that's the case for most people that like that game. Yeah, yeah. Because people are like, "Who's this kid in in Smash Brothers? Is that like Baby Mario? <laughs> like, what's he's weird." And Why no, is he, he all psychic and shit? It's like he had his own game, and now like people play Mother Three, like a game that never came out here. Yeah, and and to this day, we're still sitting here, and people are demanding the game. When like you can just go play it. Yeah, yeah. Emulation makes it possible. Um, but uh, but, or like Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger is Chrono like Trigger, a well-known, loved game, and I, I never would play that. Really? That. I also played yeah. that on emulator. I play. Well, I didn't play it. I have it. Here somewhere. You haven't played Chrono Trigger? No, Crimson Echoes. Oh. It was oh, a, yeah, yeah. like a ROM hack for it. Oh, okay. And I've, I've never played it. No, we were Similar. sitting here talking about Final Threat, and I just want to go home and play it now. <laughs> <laughs> or like a, the, I guess you could call it piracy community. The ROM hacking community, correction, yeah. uh, has made it possible to play Radical Dreamers, the sequel to, the real sequel to Chrono Trigger that yeah. came out on the Satella View. Mm-hmm. And you can read it in English now. It's a visual novel, and like that's something you can do. Yeah, never would have thought that was possible. It, it's it's crazy because it really makes that point very clear of how much influence emulation has had on the video gaming culture as a whole. I think a lot of people found a lot of games that they never would have known about without it. So, yeah. here's an, an interesting question: What's the biggest the biggest thing, biggest positive that you feel emulation brings to gaming communities as a whole. What is the biggest contribution it makes? I think the biggest contribution is, uh, I, I guess, putting eyes on it. Like putting eyes on something you, like we were just talking about. Putting eyes on something you other eyes would have never known about. Exposure. Okay. Yeah, exposure. Cause well, I think it's it's like the the preservation element like you can when you make an emulator it's basically like a codec like videos have codecs so that you can use like a different 
like video on different systems. Yeah. And now we have that for video games. So yeah. like you'll be able to run N64 software indefinitely because somebody did that work. And this is a good question because we all have different answers. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's it's similar to your answer, but it's accessibility. Like, because there were yeah. games that I had heard of, but I'd never had a chance to play. Like the Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI. I knew those games existed and I wanted to play them, but I didn't have access to them until emulation. Yeah. So, like, the, the accessibility, the ability of people to play these older games to to have a chance to have these experiences about as naturally as you can in in today's day and age, I think, is is huge. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we're huge... pretty close to, like, exact accuracy. Mm-hmm. Like, as close as it gets, really. Like... There's a lot of cultural treasures, or not maybe not cultural treasures, but, like, gaming treasures that would be lost if it wasn't for for that. Like you said, Earthbound. Yeah. There's a lot of people who wouldn't have played Earthbound if it wasn't for the fact of emulation. Yeah, if you th- that game stank it up when it came out. Oh, In yeah. Fact, the tagline was, this game stinks. <laughs> the um, And it's funny because you think about it, we had three different answers, but all of them tie together. Mm-hmm. Like, having that accessibility to a game you may have heard of but never got a chance to play, or for me it was I had accessibility and exposure to a game I never heard of, and the reality is, like, let's like looking at it honestly. I I played Sweet Home. I got an emulator and or I got a ROM of it and played it, and I enjoyed it so much that I made the point to go out and purchase a copy of it the next time I saw it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it made that ability, and it, even in that way, it helps preserve like these games because. Even if you're not having it just in a ROM format, it may encourage somebody to go out if they enjoy something enough. They may want to go out like I did and purchase a copy of the game. And now it's preserved in some way throughout history because you have a copy of it. Yeah. An interesting thing in that in terms of just like piracy versus purchase, there was actually, uh, I don't know how large the sample size was, but there was a study that was done in regards to like people who pirate media things like i think they were specifically talking about tv and movies like game of thrones avengers things like that yeah and they found that the people who were more likely to purchase to make purchases or subscribe to hbo buy the dvd or or whatever were people that had initially pirated it yeah so there's that there's that idea of I don't want to invest in something unless I know it's going to be worth it. So then basically using piracy is like a like a free sample. Yeah, it's and like then a trial actually, period. Yeah. <laughs> and then actually going out and purchasing the thing, whatever the thing happens to be. Yeah. So I, I find that was was a really interesting take on it, that the people who pirate are also the ones who are more likely to spend the money. Well at least gives some uh perspective to the idea that like piracy is a existential threat to media i think that's that's a kind of a bulked up claim yeah Yeah. i would agree with that like i know we're seeing it's it's a slippery slope argument though it's it's a nuanced one it's it's very complicated like you're you're seeing more and more now and i think with the way for example i know for me at least the the way cable has changed and now you have like playstation view or youtube tv or Mm. whatever you may have hulu tv um I'm seeing more and more people are grabbing like capture software and they'll watch a TV show and they'll just capture it mm-hmm. using that. And now they have it recorded basically as their own personal DVR. 
but then they'll they'll re-release that stuff up on YouTube and stuff like that. Cause I like watching I like watching specific like sports shows uh, that come up on TV, but they're usually airing while I'm at work, so right. I can't watch them until afterwards. But they have, and thankfully, in some t- in some ways, old media is catching up to new media because they'll have like, oh, here's clips from the show on our YouTube channel, so right. you can watch it and, yeah. and keep up with it. I actually watch a lot of Colbert on YouTube because of that. Yeah. It, it, it gives you accessibility to something that you may otherwise not have had. Yeah. So, I mean, you see it happening across the board. Yeah. So there's there's the element here, the again, back to emulation. There's the element here where you can, like, keep the things as they were, but we're also kind of enhancing things now. Oh, yeah. Like, like we've, we've taken it beyond the limits here. The When you can take mode 7... In the Super Nintendo, and you're like, "Oh, you think accuracy is good? How about if you render it in 4K?" Yeah, <laughs> that's that is truly remarkable. I uh, I remember me and Pat talked about this. Was we found an emulator for the NES mm-hmm. where you wear a Vive or an Oculus Rift or whatever like VR headset, and you play the games in 3D in VR. And it's like a papercraft sort of thing, like where things were tiles, now they're blocks. Yes. You know, pixels turn to voxels, and you're playing this game. Like, it still plays like a 2D game. But you can, like, get up close on it and look around oh, it that's and super stuff cool, like actually. that. Like, I, the first game, funny enough, the first game I played when I, when I, when I got the emulator, because you have to purchase the emulator, the first game I played was Sweet Home. <laughs> <laughs> How did it look? It was, it was funny. The first time I got into a battle, which I was very happy, the first enemy I ran into was Worms. Worms! Which I was very happy about. Worms! And I'm sitting there, like, looking around the screen where it says worms and stuff. It's just kind of, it's cool. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like it would be that much because you're not inherently changing the game but you but, are changing the sensory experience but you're in cha- you're changing the experience <laughs> yeah and it makes it really cool so you have those or one that i just tried was dolphin vr mm-hmm. uh, i only tried a few games and it works like super well it turns out like you can play mario party 4 in vr wow. and it looks amazing buttery smooth VR experience. Oh man! And like all it does is really like unlocks the camera to rotate so that you have free head movement, but you're still looking at it from the same angle. Yeah, it can be a little sickening. I gotta admit. Okay, it, I could I could definitely see that. A lot of quick smooth movement. Oh, I there was this game for VR that came out that I bought with a friend called Climby, <laughs> and it's all about like climbing. Uh, and oh really? <laughs> the, the, the problem was that in order for movement, it wasn't teleporting. You had to, like, move your arms as if you were running, and oh, my God, did I feel horrible playing it. I was like, I feel so sick. Like, I pulled off my headset, went in the bathroom. I'm, like, a sheet of paper white. I'm like, jeez. I'm like, I can't. I got I, re- I was like, I got to refund this game. I can't play this. <laughs> like, why did you? And... <laughs> In the comment, you know, how it asks you why you're refunding the game. I put other and I put it made me sick. (laughs) (laughs) And I meant that in quite the literal sense. I can't imagine that the first time they had a VR game returned for that. Yeah, probably. 
I mean, it's it's very challenging. Not everybody not everybody can do the like actual like natural movement. Yeah, but I think something like the the three D NES thing is a little bit easier to process for your brain. Yes. Yeah. You're looking at sort of a static image. Yes. Yes. But there's there's a lot of those cool type of emulator or, well, there's more of them popping up of like yeah. new ways to experience old media. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting. I mean, I thought VR would have picked up faster than it did, honestly. Because mm. uh, I remember when we were talking about VR like two years ago, IMAX was like, yeah, we want to make... Uh, they were talking about adding six IMAX VR movie theaters where it would be VR-specific movies that you could watch. I don't know if it ever happened, but I remember like two years ago reading about that. And when I read stuff like that, I'm like, oh, it's gonna, it's, it's got to be blowing up soon. And it feels like it's kind of stagnated a little bit. Yeah. But I think it's waiting for that next. Yeah, well, like, I think there's, for that like next a, advantage. there's a next sort of like generation of VR on the horizon. I think. Yeah. yeah. And I think that this one is kind of starting to come together. And I think part of it is, have you tried the Oculus Quest yet? I have not. The the new one. Oh, dude, that thing is. Super cool. Just because you don't need like anything else. It plays actual VR games without a computer. How? It's all in the headset. Like it plays super hot. It plays Beat Saber. It plays uh, Space Pirate Trainer. Wow. Yeah. Just from the headset. Just from the headset. We're gonna have to talk about this when we do when we do a VR episode. We're gonna. You mean we're not doing the VR episode right now? (laughs) (laughs) To come to, but it's super cool. And basically, I want to see that get these emulators too. Yeah, Yeah, man. More emulators. All right. But I think my very first emulator, I'm trying to think. It was an SNES one. I think it was Z-Snap. It's probably Z-Snap. Yeah. Yeah. It was Z-Snap yeah. because this is circa 2007. So, so it's like there. that uh, looks like an old, almost like DOS-like screen. Yes. Yep. Yes, exactly. There is a percentage of self-playing Super Mario World ROM hacks that will only work with Z-Snap because... Of like how shitty it is. <laughs> like why, you gotta, why you gotta put my my very first emulator on blast like that? Yeah, like, yeah. I got some fond memories of ZSNES, but it kind of sucks. It does suck, but don't say it's, that to it. It's kind of like made of paper clips and bubble gum. Paper clips and bubble gum. Like it, like that. That emulator is actually like chock full of like little ROM hacks to barely make everything work. <laughs> But, like, it got the job done. Like, yeah. I, I would say that was probably one of the biggest ones to sell it to people as, like, a thing you can go download, steal from the internet. Yeah. VSNES is rated an 8.5. Really? Second highest, actually, behind uh, SNES 9X. Mm-hmm. Huh. I think, and I think BizHawk's making its way up. Well, BizHawk is popular with, like, a lot of speedrun speed groups. Speedrun groups, yeah. BeastNest has come around, like, really well. BeastNest is the one with the HD Mode 7. Okay, okay. yeah. So, like, they're, like, very committed to the accuracy. Yeah. But also to enhancements, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can see on websites, like, the website we're on. Um, I don't know if I should give away the name of the website. Is that a bad idea? Mm, it's, a. Uh, very nice emulators do not shut us down dot com. Yeah. <laughs> but um they have one of the things I like about some of these is it'll let you know, is it open source, is it freeware, what what exactly is it? And I think that's what we're seeing now because they have Wii U on this website and it shows you SEMU 
but it says freeware. So I guess I like I said, I remember there was a moment where they were doing, I guess, a Patreon. I don't know if that's still around. Yeah, but I, don't, I, I don't think know. that's. It, would that be in an area of like morally or like not morally but ethically gray territory? I well, guess I don't, I don't think freeware really pertains to like I think freeware is kind of a casual term that just means you don't pay for the software. Like it's not the same as free software or yeah. like open source, which have like organizations that define them. So I I don't know. Nope, it's still there. It's still on Patreon. So Semu is still on Patreon. Interesting. But forget about their Patreon. Go to our Patreon <laughs> and pay us so to that stop we stop recording podcasts. <laughs> We're going to be creating a bid war for keep going versus stop. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we put specific numbers. Like if you do the $1 tier, that means we want to stop. And a, like a $5 tier is we continue. And then a $10 tier is we stop. So that we make them fight against each other and make more and more money. We just keep a running tally and we will continue our schedule so long as it stays in the keep going side. <laughs> but when the ledger goes cold and we're done, then we're done. You're, done. you're gonna have to you're gonna have to donate enough money for us to, <laughs> to, to start up again. This mm. is just our way of letting the community in to interact with us. Really, it's a service that we're doing for you. Yes. Yeah. For Absolutely. you to give us money. <laughs> Nothing else. That's no. that's the only reason it's there. It's just for you to give us money. Yeah, Thank you I mean, for your money. We want money. Sorry well, for I, wasting your time and your money, but uh, thanks for your money. This is true altruism. <laughs> I like money. I like money. <laughs> but I like money too. Like, I think another thing that's interesting about emulators is, like, we were talking about elements that it can add. Like, I like sometimes... In the early days of the emulators, one of my favorite things to do before they got more, like, advanced was I'd like to play a game that I knew I was good at and then speed it up mm -hmm. to see how well I could do with <laughs> that, it sped up. That's pretty good. <laughs> and it was, like, a disaster. Or I'd slow it down, and it would also be a disaster. <laughs> Basically, it was all disasters. Yeah. It was disaster like, all the way down. I think it's funny because I was surprised that I played... Mario 1, Super Mario Bros. Mm. And I slowed it down and sped it up. And I had just as much difficulty playing it slowed down as sped up. Because the game's a little bit slippery to begin with. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing with that slipperiness, but you're not exactly sure how to deal with it yeah. moving that slowly. Yeah, the, the momentum's hard to parse. Yeah, so you're like, ah, oh, crap, no! <laughs> I'm going in the pit! <laughs> I'm still sliding! So. Turn around! So there, there is one more, I guess, emulation thing, and then I'm kind of out of stuff to throw out there. <laughs> but like we, we've talked a lot about software emulation, and the, one of the cool things that's cropped up in the past few years is hardware emulation. Uh, with the FPGA board, we now have like hardware emulated cartridges. We have emulated consoles, like you have the uh, like the analog, like and the stuff analog like that. things, like the the Mega NT, is it? Yeah, the Mega NT is the, another one. The they got the Sega one. You got the Retrons and stuff like that. that yeah, and, well, those ones just run like uh, emulators on them. Oh, okay. Like they use open source emulators where like the the analog things are FPGA, FPGA boards that are designed to hardware emulate the architecture of the Super Nintendo. Okay. Oh. Okay. So, like, on that level, like, they physically created an emulator. 
Which yes. is that you could stick an, an SNES cartridge in there and play it. Basically any SNES cartridge in it, yeah. Oh. Yeah, you could do simula- uh, similar. Sim- similarly. <laughs> Sim- Simulation? Simulation. Simulation. Like, but um, you could do similar things with the Retron, but doesn't really like the thing is if you ever and i just thought about that if you have a rom loaded you could put any cartridge in and play a different game right as long as you have the rom and something plugged in it'll run anything i think my favorite emulator was sonic and knuckles with sonic 2 plugged in that was the best i've never done it oh it's so good it makes it it makes sonic 2 so easy just because, glide. Yeah, knuckle. Like, there's the one thing I remember about that, and this is a very huge uh, tangent here, is that in, I think it was Chemical Plant 2, there was an area where you could just, like, climb the wall to the top of the stage. Yeah. Jump off the other side and be at the goal. Nice. It saves, like, a full <laughs> minute and a half, two minutes. You just, but you spend 45 seconds climbing this wall. You go off the top of the screen, <laughs> you come down the other side, and there's the goal. I wonder if anybody's ever speedrun. Sega or Sonic Two with that. Hmm. If, there, huh. if there's a category that exists, probably. it's probably exactly. You probably just zip to the end of every level. Yeah, it's yeah, probably, probably super slow. It's, it's anyway. probably easier actually. Yeah, like yeah. you just clip onto a wall, clip through it, and you're. Or gone. no, you, you just uh, like unhook the cartridge a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you just give a little thwap. Little thwap, yeah. I so it's not game. connection's not complete. Though yeah. the cool thing about that is you could plug like any game into it. Mm-hmm. And it would give you different Sonic and Knuckles bonus stages. Uh, so if you yeah. plugged Sonic 1 into it, you would get a whole different series of the bonus stage, like the blue orb like bonus stages. Yeah. You Depending on the game that you plugged in, you would get different versions of it. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so it, it actually did something if you put anything other than like a Sonic game into it. Sonic 1 actually had some of the most interesting bonus stages that it would, that it would play. Okay. Like, you could, like, plug in Comic Zone and it would just totally change it up. It would yeah, give it you would, a completely different set of bonus stages. Yeah. It, I think the cartridge plugs in a seed and then it just generates yeah. some bonus levels. That's pretty That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. Cool. You remember the one with the, the red and blue spheres, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because they did it again in Mania. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. They did it again and they were much Mania. harder in Mania. <laughs> oh, my God, they were. Like, you speed up so fast. You're like, Jesus, yeah. why am I going so fast so early? Because <laughs> it's Sonic, Gotta go, gotta go too fast. <laughs> He's too fast. <laughs> Man, emulation, like... I want to go th- home and play an emulator. Thinking back on it, just thinking about how much it's influenced my gaming life, it's crazy. Like, It's an underrated influence. It's it's up there with, like, Flash games and things like that where people kind of, like, plug that away from their nostalgia and they're like, oh, I remember my SNES box. And it's like, oh, well, what about Defend Your Castle, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> Or what, Temple Run? (laughs) Who remembers Temple Run? When are we going to get an emulated Temple Run? (laughs) Well, I mean, they have that Temple Run game on your phone, but it's not the same. No, it's not. It's not the same. If only there were a website where you could go play Temple Run. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe some kind of, like, brand new, like, ground that they could Hmm. go to. Hmm. Breaking new grounds would be good. (laughs) So if you want to get us to stop talking, you can visit our Patreon. <laughs> if you want us to keep talking, go to your 7-Eleven next to the hot next dogs. Next to the hot dogs. We're, we're angling for that gum slot, like right next to the Reese's Cups. Yeah, we want to we be right next to the five gum. Yeah. 
like right in that area is that it catches like right your there, eye as you're and then out. there's like the there's like the the chip section right next to that mm-hmm. so yeah it's a good spot right by the counter so in conclusion my favorite emulator is a uh, animal crossing yes <laughs> yes animal crossing the emulator is maybe my favorite my favorite emulator is minecraft yes okay. yes too. that's a good because you could build any other game in minecraft you can if build you Minecraft have. in Minecraft. With enough redstone. <laughs> yeah. With enough redstone, you can build anything. Mm-hmm. You can build a Minecraft. You can. But, uh... This has gone off the rails, and I love it. As usual. <laughs> it, I mean, yeah, when I has mean, it not? <laughs> that's the beautiful thing about it. You never know what we're going to talk about, even given the topics that we put in our titles. <laughs> that's how do. You know what? We should do that at some point. We'll, we'll put up a topic and never talk about it. Like, not at all. I was going to pitch that for this one. <laughs> <laughs> or what we could do is we could just change the title of this one away from emulators <laughs> and just like, talk about Castlevania or something. The big gaming secret you never knew about. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight may surprise you. Keep a lookout for our next episode. The big one. <laughs> the big one. Let's <laughs> keep but, it real vague about what it's about. But thank you, everybody, for watching. As usual, you can find us in the usual places, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, if YouTube will ever let me put these damn videos up because it keeps shooting them down for whatever reason. Demonetize. Just call their helpful uh, service department. Not even demonetize. Like, they just, like, delete the video. And I'm like, why? I think I'm pretty sure on, on, our, on the YouTube channel it has up to episode three. Yeah. This is episode seven. Like, they're just a little bit behind. Are we up to seven already? Yeah. Oh. Well, we have know. almost a full work day's worth of content. Yeah, almost. I don't I don't think any actual people work at YouTube. It's just a big machine, and, uh, you know, it kind of operates randomly. And I guess uh, you could say we've got bad RNG. <laughs> <laughs> Take that, algorithm. I'm not giving my name to a machine. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you, everybody, for watching. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have a good one. Whatever time it happens to be, wherever it is you happen to be, I also hope you have a good one. And don't let that door hit you in the ass on the way out.